trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Welcome to this episode of A Gift for Grief and today I'm talking to Kelly Higgs. Kelly is a teacher and subject lead for social and emotional well-being in a local special needs setting. In 2022, Kelly became the founder of Time to Heal Together through which she delivers one-to-one therapeutic drawing and talking sessions and group emotion-based work. Her own lived experiences of bereavement, beginning with the death of her mum when Kelly was a teenager, have created a deep passion to help children, young people and adults with mental health difficulties and empower them to access emotional healing, as well as promoting open conversations around death, dying and grief. So welcome, Kelly, and thank you for being on my podcast today. Thanks for inviting me, Louise. You're very welcome. So perhaps we could start with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, so primarily I am a teacher and I sort of specialise in supporting children and young people with social, emotional, mental health difficulties. And for me, this has to override any academic work because if we don't feel safe and have support with managing our emotions, then how can we learn effectively anyway? Yeah, absolutely. I also have the privilege of leading on this subject across my school. So it is special needs for to 19 year olds. So I'm able to influence and impact kind of the work that goes on across the school, which is which is fantastic. You know, looking back, it's no surprise that this is the path that my career has taken um, because experiencing the death of my mom from cancer when I was 15, it, it changed everything for me, really. Yeah. And when I returned to school after four days, there was no support, you know, it wasn't talked about and that was just the way it was back then. So I'll obviously talk more about this, but I think that those experiences planted some seeds which I have harnessed kind of throughout my career really, as did being the teacher of a child called Ben and Ben had cancer. So teaching him and seeing his kind of experience and the impact on the class, that that was also really formative for me. Yeah, so... Ben was six, he was your pupil. Mm. How did you and the school cope with that sort of experience and how how do you use that to 
look after the children in your class that are going to be grieving for him too? It's just multiple layers, really. I mean, Ben, he had a brain tumour, as did my mum, so you've got parallels there. But initially, Ben's prospects looked really positive and he was recovering really well until, sadly, he wasn't. So, you know, it it kind of went through different phases with him. But the class, being five and six-year-olds, weren't really fully aware of what was going on. So Ben was coming to school fairly normally for a time period and then he wasn't. So that became their new norm, that they didn't really see him. And then sadly he did die. And it was one of my strangest days at work because we as a school staff knew on the morning that he died, the children didn't. So we had a kind of day knowing and everything was normal for them. But I remember thinking, nothing is going to be normal again once you go home and your parents talk to you. So it was a C of E school, so there were certain religious kind of frameworks in operation, if you like. The vicar came in to talk to the class and so on. But, you know, certain things weren't done perhaps as well as they could have been. So I felt very much a pressure to teach the normal curriculum after just a few days. And there were comments being made about how certain children were wallowing in their grief and that it wasn't our loss, it was the family's. So... Whilst there was that pressure, instinctively I knew that they did need space and time to grieve. Yes. And we were fortunate to have some support from Acorns, a local children's hospice, and they kind of reassured me that, yes, they do need normality, they do need routines, but they also need that processing time. Absolutely, yes, yeah. So can you tell us about Time to Heal and how that came about? So that hasn't been around too, too long, actually. I set the business up um, last March 2022 and I'd never, ever imagined being a business owner. But it was one of these strange quirks of fate. So I went on a course. I was sent on it by my workplace to become a drawing and talking practitioner, supporting the needs of my students, basically. And it was one of these virtual learning courses. So I was in a room on my own, sort of during COVID times, partially, And I'm sitting there and the person is saying, if you think this is about fixing people, it's the wrong course. And as I sat there, a light bulb clicked on for me. And I thought if I'd had access to something like this as a teenager, my grief journey could have been very, very different. And it was kind of a, a purpose lit up within me to extend it beyond my workplace. Because what if there are other adults out there like me? who haven't accessed support at an earlier stage, but may now be ready to do so. So that was the birth of my kind of idea, if you like. And after about six, six to eight weeks, set up the business and it launched on the 21st of March. So springtimes, new beginnings, new start. Oh, I love that. Yes, it all sounds very exciting. So how does it work? So there are two aspects to it, really. You've got the one-to-one work, which can be done through drawing or sand play, which is the kind of more kinesthetic setting of a story in sand. And at the start of each session, you invite the client to draw a picture. Some people can think of an idea and set off straight away. Other people need a little bit of a prompt, which I can give them certain ideas. Then what's really exciting for me is each client's journey is different. So some will draw in silence for the whole time. Some might draw for five minutes and then have kind of conversation and talking. But they are the one doing the drawing. They are the one doing the talking. 
I'm the one doing the holding and the being and kind of creating that very safe contained space for them to process and heal. So I'm aware that there are art therapists out there working with people, but it's not something I know very much about. Can you explain how drawing and art and holding this space can help people with emotional healing? So there are some things that you cannot convey verbally or that go beyond a cognitive verbal based level e.g. trauma it sits within us and when you into when you combine drawing and talking you're going into that inner world if you like because the process works through fantasy so for example if we were sat here today and you drew a picture of a tree I wouldn't say to you oh okay Louise so how does this tree link to your grief for Matthew I would be asking you questions like does the tree have any friends what would happen if the tree was moved to a different location? So it's going beyond, as I say, that cognitive thinking level to that inner processing. And that's how it's also very safe because it's not me directly asking questions to you. The group work is slightly different. So with that, you have a set of people, whether it's children, young people or adults, and it's an emotions-based process. So it's six weeks. Each week you cover a different emotion and in the first phase, you ask a set of questions, the same questions to each person. If they prefer not to answer, that's fine. So, for example, what is sadness? What does a person look like when they feel sad? What could they do? Have you ever felt sad? Those kind of things. Stage two, they're invited to draw a picture of what that emotion looks like for them. And in stage three, we come back to the kind of questioning you get within the one-to-one -one work, so based on their picture. And through that, it's working a lot around empathy and the fact that although we may have not had identical experiences, the emotions that we may feel at those times are similar. And it's especially helpful for children and young people who aren't yet at that empathetic level and can perhaps understand then, oh, OK, so their life is different to mine, but they can kind of understand how I'm feeling about this current situation. It sounds fascinating. Now, I'm not an arty person. You know, I, I struggle to draw a stick man. <laughs> so do people need to be arty in order to get the full benefits? That is a great question. And what I say to people is this is not a drawing competition. <laughs> I'm not judging the quality of your artwork because everything that appears on your page has its place and is showing an aspect of your story ultimately. So it, it's not about doing the best, most artistic drawing. It's, it's a representation of your yeah. inner world. So how long is each session? So they're 30 minutes. As we're operating within a therapeutic framework, ideally the sessions take place at the same time each week in the same location. So I work either remotely via Zoom or I go to clients' houses. And yeah, 30 minutes, 12 sessions. And then some people move through certain stages, others don't. My work is not to understand what stage you're at. It's to provide a contained space in which you can, as I say, process and heal, hopefully. Yeah. So if people want to find out more information about this... How can they get in touch with you? So the best way is through my Facebook business page, which is Time to Heal Together. 
it should come up if you kind of just Google it really or look on Facebook. Otherwise, I do have an email address, which I'm presuming you'll share in the notes, Louise. Yes, I will. I will do. Yeah. So people can look there for anything that we talk about today. I can pop the links on that. So it was through your experience of losing your mum as a teenager that sparked this passion for wanting to help others who were grieving. So can you tell us a little bit about that time? and How old were you? So I was 15 when my mum died. It was shortly after my 15th birthday that she was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And I remember the night it happened, thinking very clearly, oh, I wish it was something like meningitis. Uh, You know, cancer is quite a scary word and people often assume the worst when they hear that term. So similarly to Ben, actually, everything appeared to be going okay. So she had an operation. We had a, a fairly normal Christmas as a family. Um, Her thinking and kind of timescales were slightly off, but then you'd expect that to be the case. But it was in the January of the following year that she became ill again, started having quite bad headaches and really deteriorated quite rapidly. And it became clear that she wasn't going to survive. So she came home. We had her on a hospital bed in our living room. And sadly, she died on the morning of her 51st birthday. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. But what helped you navigate your grief journey? Because you didn't get a lot of help from school, did you? No, and as a family, we didn't really talk about my mum's death. And, you know, I've spoken to my dad in more recent times and he said, well, we just lived through it together, didn't we? And obviously each person grieves in their own different way. He was grieving for his wife, I was grieving for my mum. But I should probably make it clear to you, Louise, that the person you're talking to today is very different to that teenage Kelly who had a very different blueprint around grief, bereavement than what I now have. So as we've touched on with the drawing and talking, you cannot always verbalise things related to trauma. And as a teenager, I, I literally just did not have the words or the strategies to express that grief, no. what it felt like. So I just pushed it deep down and yes. covered it up like it it didn't exist, basically. And the following year, I did my GCSEs and I got the top results in the school, a string of A's, A stars. If you'd looked at me, you'd have thought I was a normal teenager without a care in the world. I, yeah. I masked it really, really quite well. And when it came to Ben's death, the blueprint was still largely there, but I'd, I was an adult then. I'd shifted slightly. So I, I had certain people I felt safe to talk to about kind of what the impact of, of working with him had been, the parallels and how I was really struggling with his death. I was in a position where I felt the class in a way, were more important than I was. So I had to model to them talking about things, that it's okay to do that. And I suppose, again, a sort of subconscious awareness that I can do better for them than I did for myself or or that people facilitated for me. But the real breakthrough was in 2021. And I was actually at work, the same place I work now, and I was on the verge of burnout. And the issues that my class were having, a lot of social, emotional, mental health. And when you're constantly supporting people, it can get very, very uh, a lot, basically. So I I was aware that if I want to continue doing a job I love and providing this really high level support, I I need to address some of my own issues. So I referred myself for some counselling. And 20 years after my mum had died, I I did access counselling and quite simply life-changing 
Yes. Yeah. It sounds like you've been through a real transformation. And it just goes to show, doesn't it, that you just don't know what's going on inside a person. So you carried that for all those years and nobody would have known. But it's there and it's in the body. And um, thank goodness that you did receive some counselling and that you, you know, that you felt the benefit from that. But look where you are now from you know your experience you know do you think you would be doing this if you hadn't have gone through that no and i i'm not particularly spiritual or anything but i i do believe our paths are set in a certain direction yeah and that as you said just then i i wouldn't be in this position now i wouldn't be able to relate to people who have difficulties talking about their emotions and so on if i didn't kind of have this first hand experience of myself of what that can yeah. feel and yeah. be like so at the time when you lost your mum can you remember what it was like around your friends and family did you find people were awkward or you just didn't talk about it was it a funny sort of energy around communication I think so yes and I remember that a couple of days after my mum had died a group of school friends they'd done me a card they'd give me some chocolates but they were teenagers themselves and, yeah. and because we hadn't talked really openly about my mum being ill, of course, they didn't know anything was wrong all of that time. See, my closest friends didn't know. The school were told towards, you know, when it was approaching my mum dying, but we were a very private family. We, we didn't kind of cast our news everywhere. So my friends, it, it must have been so shocking to them to not have known and then suddenly you're told by a teacher that one of your friend's parents has died and I can't have any judgment towards them at all they were they were like me they were children ultimately yes yeah. didn't know how to talk I didn't know and actually I didn't want to talk about it it suited me quite well at the time that no one was talking to me about it yes yeah it's really interesting isn't it but we, we are moving forward slowly and things are changing but hopefully things like this podcast and the work you're doing you know, we, we need to have these conversations, don't we? We need to normalise these conversations so people can engage with it. How would you describe grief to someone who has never had a significant loss? So I would say it can feel like a deep, dark, scary place of endless sadness. But actually, if you sit with it, allow it to be and accept it as part of your life now... What you'll learn is that it does carry love and memories of those no longer present. I love that. That's, that's a really beautiful way to explain. So what words would you choose to express your condolences to someone? So I think I'm a little bit different here from kind of the common response you might get, but I never, ever say I'm sorry for your loss. No. Because I feel it's quite cliched and just what, as, as a society, we expect people to say it kind of trips off the tongue quite easily but actually it's about more than that my work as a teacher has kind of educated me that we have to be extremely careful around children and young people about terminology and if we're talking about loss particularly those with special needs may then think oh somebody's lost yes they've gotten lost in the woods maybe I can find them if I look hard enough yeah or, oh, I'd be really frightened if I was lost. Maybe my lo my loved one is feeling really frightened right now. So I'm very careful for those reasons. But what I would prefer to say is something like, I felt really sad when I heard that whoever had died. 
I'm not really sure there are words to express how you might be feeling right now. Whatever you feel is normal and natural and there are no rules with grief. I'm here to listen if that will help. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a lovely thing. I mean, I did say to one lady a few weeks ago that, you know, I was sorry to hear about her daughter, sorry for her loss. And she said, my daughter's not lost, she's dead. Because mm. a lot of people just think it's, it's the safest option, mm. isn't it? But I think as long as people acknowledge the loss in some way, it's better than totally ignoring it, isn't it? And I know when we're talking um, with children as well, I, I don't like the term passed away mm. because it's almost like it, it's trying to soften the fact that somebody's died mm. and children wouldn't understand that term. I think you have to be as truthful as possible, don't you? And I'm sure that I've in the past I've used the term passed away myself. But now, having done all of this work with grief, I realise that now let's just use the words dead mm. and died. Mm. It's um, let's just get it out there. So, yeah. So do you have any words of wisdom, Kelly, that you could share maybe to help the listeners loosen their grief in some way? I say so I, I would be saying grief is universal, yet each person will experience it in their own unique way. There are going to be challenges ahead as you come to terms with life being different. But there are people out there who can help you even if it feels like too much time has passed. Perhaps you can find just one person whom you feel safe talking to about how you are feeling. Or if this isn't possible, keeping a journal or writing a diary can be helpful to release and express your emotions. Yeah, I think that's lovely. I mean, I had a grief buddy who's become a very close friend who, you know, I could just keep going over the same old stuff and she would just sit there and listen and um you know when you're in that rawness of grief I was a talker I needed to talk and that was my way of trying to process and make sense of something that can't be made sense of and having that person you know if you haven't got that person counseling you know you just need someone just to that can sit and listen mm and not judge but do you find with the work that you do it's also helping you while you're helping other people well that's why the business is called time to heal together because it's Ah, not just a one-way process and I feel the more the kind of work I do as with my kind of teaching based work you know I, I have supported children who've experienced the death of a parent and supporting them through that it enables me to access my own next stage of healing basically so yeah it's it's definitely a two-way street nothing is a transaction nothing is just given something is always received as well I believe yes yeah so where are you in your grief journey now well a few weeks ago I ran my first event linked to my business and it was a group-based session for a, a set of adults who had experienced a death of some sort And I set up a table with various artefacts and photos showcasing my own grief journey and did a presentation for around 20 minutes about where I was, where I am now, etc. The very fact that I could be in a room with a set of strangers, speak as comfortably as I'm talking to you now, showed me just how far I have come along my own pathway. And you know, my journey continues. The grief will always be there. That's just the way it is. But I am 
inching and in fact taking great strides along my own personal pathway. And if I suppose I was summarising it, I would say it's been a bumpy, rocky path with darkness and obstacles to overcome, but it has led to this most beautiful destination. And it is a place where personal healing, my own, aligns with helping others through human connection. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. So do you have any special ways now that to remember your mum? Do you have any family rituals or celebrations? I mean, the work that you do is a lovely way to mm. honour your mum, isn't it? Mm. It is, and we still celebrate her birthday. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a difficult one, the fact that her birth date is the same as her death date, albeit the years are kind of 51 years apart. But yeah. we'll have either a homemade birthday cake or we'll go out for a meal, something like that. And last year I actually had a tattoo done on my arm of a robin with the word mum underneath. Yeah. Very symbolic because of what I believe about robins, but it was more than that. And it was about the fact that what was previously hidden and covered up inside is now out in the open and I'm free to talk about it with whomever I choose. Friends of mine couldn't believe I was having a tattoo done because I'm not really a a kind of stereotypical tattoo person but when they asked me did it hurt, not particularly but that as well was part of the therapy, that pain being brought from inside to the surface. So really, really symbolic on a number of levels. Yeah. So tell me about Robins, Kelly. Oh, I just, I just love them, and I know what they're, they're kind of thinking behind them is that they are visitors or messengers, and that's what I really believe. So if I'm out and about and I see one, I think it could be my mum, it could be other people who've died, it could be Ben, that sort of thing, and had a really special kind of experience a couple of years back when I was, again, going through a bit of a rocky phase with various things, and we were visiting my uncle at the time. He lives near Barmouth. So I'd gone for a walk along an estuary and thought I'll stop and have a rest at a bench. I was a couple of minutes ahead of another group of people, so if I'd been in later, I wouldn't have made it to this bench. Anyway, I sat there and I was eating some dates and along pops this very friendly robin. And it was hopping around and so on and very curious. So I thought, oh, I'll see if I'll have some of my dates. So I held up my hand with a few dates in and it hovered and it's it's beat connected with my hand as it took some dates and I just had such a strong sense that it was my mum and she was kind of connecting with me and saying you were going to be okay and it, it was just this lovely um, experience really. That's amazing I love to hear stories like this because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will connect with that as well I mean I'm I love, you know, robins. There was a time not long after Matthew had died that a little robin would come to the patio door and just look in and tweet at me. And it was when I went to the computer and looked up the meaning of robins and it said, um, when a robin redbreast visits you or crosses your path, someone from heaven is saying hello. Mm. And I thought, that's Matthew. (laughs) Believe it or not, Louise, on my way here to you tonight, I stopped at a set of traffic lights and as I looked ahead of me, a white feather dropped in front of the car's path and I thought, that's my mum again. She's with us today and she's ready to hear this kind of next stage of my journey. So that, you know, white feathers as well, really for me, are quite symbolic. And my mum's favourite song, was Two Hearts by Phil Collins. So anytime that comes on the radio, it's kind of like, yeah, you're yes. checking on me here, you're kind of seeing what I'm up to. So yeah, anything like that, that I think for me, it doesn't matter if it's real or not, but if anything brings you comfort and brings that loved one to mind, 
what can be the harm in it really? Absolutely. I'm there with the white feathers, the robins, the rainbows, the heart-shaped clouds, anything that, you know, just reminds you that your loved ones are always there with you. I think it's amazing. Now, didn't you say earlier that you're not very spiritual? Yes, I did. So what are your thoughts about the afterlife? So, <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> good question. So I don't know if I'd say I believe in heaven, but what I do believe in is that our loved ones are somewhere and they're waiting for us and we will be able to see them again. And I think I've touched on this, but I think they are watching over us and can see what I'm doing or we're doing, whether it's through those signs or just more generally, they're able to yeah. Yeah, see what we're doing. So you believe our loved ones can give us signs mm. then? Yes, yeah. And you've certainly had signs yourself. So, Kelly, if you could give your mum a message now, what would you like to say? Well, very simple, really. I love you and I miss you, but I really hope you feel proud of all the things I'm achieving. Oh, I'm sure she is very proud of you. I think you are amazing. What you've done with your life after you know having such a tragic loss at such a young age... You've completely transformed and it's incredible what you're doing with other people that are going through difficult times and you are an inspiration. And I'm so grateful that you came today and, and you're a guest on my podcast. And I'm, I know there are going to be people listening to this that are going to take something away from this today. I hope people get in touch with you. I'd love to come and sit in on one of your sessions and um, maybe we'll meet again one day and have another chat i'm really grateful thank you very much thank you for having me louise kelly has kindly offered half price sessions to anyone who contacts her after listening to this episode you can email kelly at kelly.higgs84 at gmail.com and i will share this in the show notes Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links and I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.